0: This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. Return to God's Word as it is found in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. The scripture reading this morning is verses 1 through 16. 1 through 16. we we'll read this passage before we turn to the Hutterberg Catechism. Lord's Day 8, which focuses upon God triune. Notice verses 4, 5, and 6 before... I read the passage, in verse 4 you find the third person of the Trinity, one Spirit. In verse 5 you find one Lord, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6 you find the first person, one God and Father of all. So as we read this passage, you'll notice that this is... About unity and even an exhortation to show that unity. But in verses 4, 5, and 6, you find the basis for the unity of the church, the triune God. Ephesians 4 1 through 16. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. that He might fill all things. And He gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. To read that far in God's holy inspired word, we now turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, in Lord's Day 8. Lords Day Eight, we find this question: How are these articles divided? The articles mentioned refer back to Question and Answer Twenty-Three in Lords Day Seven. The articles of what we know as the Apostles' Creed, and that which sums up the content of our faith. How are these articles divided? answer into three parts. The first is of God the Father and our creation. The second of God the Son and our redemption. The third of God the Holy Ghost and our sanctification. Since there is but one only divine essence or being, Why speakest thou of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? Because God hath so revealed Himself in His Word that these three distinct persons are the one only true and eternal God. Beloved in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Heidelberg Catechism, as it expounds the scriptures, leads us to consider the truth of the one only true and living God, namely the Triune God, one being in three Persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This God is the God whom we believe and confess in the Apostles' Creed. I remind you that when we begin the confession of that Apostles' Creed, every Sunday evening, this is how we begin. I believe in God. Which God? God. I believe in this God, the Catechism is is explaining, this God, God the Father, Almighty Maker of Heaven and Earth, God the Son, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, Deliverer, God the Holy Spirit, the One who sanctifies and makes one holy Catholic Church. This is the God we believe. That's what we confess in the Apostles' Creed, and that is what the Catechism is expounding for us this morning. This Trinitarian outline of the Apostles' Creed is what the Catechism shows to us this morning, but it's not a mere academic exercise so that we understand that the Apostles' Creed is divided in that way, that outline. But... It is a spiritual exercise, so that as God's people hear about how the Apostles' Creed is divided, God's people believe, trust in this God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not any other God, but this one only. I remind you that that is the context of the Catechism when it speaks of the triune God here in Lord's Day 8 because it follows upon Lord's Day 7 regarding faith. We saw last week that faith is an activity, the activity of believing. That believing is defined by the Catechism as a certain knowledge whereby a hold for truth all that God has revealed in His Word and a An assured confidence in this God. This God alone. Who for Christ's sake alone gives us all the blessings of salvation. A certain knowledge and an assured confidence. We saw faith is that activity of the heart. And for us to have this activity, we saw also that faith is a bond. We need first the bond of faith. We saw that. Christ Jesus has earned for us all the blessings of salvation, including faith. And then in time, he binds us to himself by that bond of faith through which we're able to believe and receive all the blessings of salvation. And having defined for us this faith in Lord's Day 7, now the catechism turns us outward as we must look outward. Faith is not turned inward, faith looks outward to the One whom we believe, this triune God. This is fundamental. This fundamental to the Christian faith. This doctrine of the Trinity. To deny the triune God as the one only true God is to show that you do not have true faith. It would be proof that you are not yet saved. Athanasian Creed begins by saying Whosoever will be saved. Before all things it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, which faith except every one do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. That's how the Athanasian Creed begins and then continues to explain this Catholic faith. Meaning, universally, what every believer will hold to as the doctrine of the Trinity. And then having explained the doctrine of the Trinity, the Athanasian Creed says this He therefore that will be saved, let him thus think of the Trinity. I mentioned this last time, but in this postmodern age where belief is all about what feels right, This must be emphasized. Faith is knowledge. Knowledge of the true God. Not just any God that one may have a feeling sincerely to think is God. But antithetically, we as Reformed churches and true believers insist that we must believe in only one God not a God that suits our fancies, but this God, one only true and living God, the One who is triune. Triune. As we approach this doctrine of God triune, some would imagine, perhaps even sitting here, some would accuse us of holding to a doctrine that is cold, boring, impractical. Yet, beloved, the doctrine of the Trinity is far from that. That God is one being in three persons, as we shall see, is the warmest most exciting, soul-stirring truth of Scripture. How can the doctrine of God Himself be anything but that? Unless the heart is hardened toward that God. The doctrine of the Trinity, the truth of God as three persons and one being is about a warm relationship that God has within Himself and that He shares with us, His people it is not cold it is not boring for he is not cold and he is not boring and it is not impractical as well that the one true god is triune really is the truth from which every practical application flows Every application can be derived from this fundamental truth of God's Word. I challenge you to find every application in the Bible and you'll see a connection with the doctrine of Trinity, the triune God. And then the opposite is true too. Every error and every erroneous application of God's Word will somehow attack the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of God is the very basis of for every life application. One application we see today. Found in Ephesians 4 is this. That the doctrine of the Trinity. God being three persons and yet united. One being. Is the very basis. And power for the church to be united herself. As members one being with another. Since consider this truth of Lord's Day 8 under the theme believing in the triune God. Believing in the triune God. First, His identity. Second, His work. And then finally, our calling. His identity, His work, and then our calling. We confess every Sunday, I believe in God. So we ask that question at the beginning of this first point, Who is God? Who is this one, only, true God? To ask that question and to try to answer it, causes trepidation because I cannot comprehensively define for you God. The truth of God, who God is, is is too grand. He is too glorious, too wonderful, too infinite. We must be struck with that. And I am and you are too inferior, too finite, too sinful to define comprehensively who God is. Second Corinthians 2.16 shows us Paul exclaiming as a preacher ought to, every time he approaches God's Word and especially the doctrine of God, who is sufficient for these things? And the, the Apostle Paul felt insufficient I certainly do and you should as well because God reveals Himself in His Word. It doesn't mean that we know everything about Him. And yet because He does reveal some Himself to us in His Word, I press on and we press on to understand who He is as He shows Himself to us. Who is this triune God. Three characteristics which the doctrine of the Trinity is explained by Lord's Day 8 show us. Three characteristics of this God. First, as I have already implied, this true God is incomprehensible. Think, beloved, of that truth of the Trinity that we consider this morning. You know some of the facts very well because it is fundamental to the Christian faith. You've grown up on the basics. You know God is one being. There's only one God. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, we read that today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And yet, at the same time, Without any contradiction, God is also at three. One and three at the same time. Since there is, the Catechism says, question 25, but one only divine essence. Why speakest thou, and the German original includes, of three Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now notice with me how the catechism does not attempt to pry into the mystery of explaining exactly how how God can be one and three. The catechism doesn't enter into a philosophical explanation, prying into the depths of God's oneness and threeness. Here's the answer when it asks, why do you believe that? because it simply says so in God's Word. That's the answer of the catechism. Because God hath so revealed Himself in His Word, and then reiterates the point that these three distinct persons are the one, only, true, and eternal God. Can you explain all that? The one with childlike faith will say, no, I can't explain it all. Because God is incomprehensible. And yet, I believe it because He says so. That's faith. We often understand something we can compare to another thing. So that's why we come up with illustrations to help us understand a certain concept. But the problem with comparisons and illustrations when it comes to explaining the Trinity, is that every comparison and every illustration doesn't fit. It falls far, far, far short. Think about it. There is no one else. There is no one else who is one being and more than one person. Every human being sitting here this morning is one being, one human being. And only one person. And God who is wholly other, different, is one being. And yet three persons. Father who says, I am a distinct person. Son who says, I am a distinct person. And Spirit who says, I am a distinct person. The Bougie Confession Article 9 emphasizes the, that, that truth of the incomprehensibility of this this doctrine. The Confession Article 9 says, this doctrine of the Trinity far surpasses all human understanding. Nevertheless, we, believe, we now believe it. Why? By means of the Word of God. Echoing the Catechism. Because God says so in His Word. Now to qualify the truth that God is incomprehensible, we must say this and guard from error another error. That does not mean that God is unknowable. As the Catechism says, He has revealed Himself to us. He has revealed Himself in His Word. God has given us minds. He has made us and then renewed us in His image with true knowledge. And then, He has given us the Holy Scriptures. And with the Holy Spirit, working with the Scriptures, He has revealed to our renewed minds who He is. So we know Him. We know Him in truth. And yet the quantity of that knowledge is very limited. Only as He has revealed to us in His Word, we will never comprehensively come to a knowledge of the infinite God. That is the truth of incomprehensibility. and The doctrine of the Trinity impresses that upon our souls. Incomprehensible, I say wonderfully so, because the very fact that he is incomprehensible, actually confirms that he must be the true God. Muslims and the Jehovah's Witnesses and atheists and and many enemies of the Christian faith attack Christianity on this point. They mock Christianity in this point. And they say, how can you believe such a God which you can't even understand fully? How can you believe in such a God that is so mysterious that He is one and three at the same time? That doesn't make sense, they would say. They claim that the mystery proves Christianity or the God of Christianity false. But the believer recognizes that God's incomprehensibility actually confirms that He must be the true God. But God, by definition, is infinite. God, by, de- by de- definition, is so great that while we can understand some of who He is, it must be that our minds will come to a limit of understanding who he is. And if you were to be able to understand God completely, then you would know that the God you believe is a false God. The truth of Trinity and the un- incomprehensibility of it for our finite human minds is. The confirmation that this God, triune, is the one true God. In church history, now a a warning in application, in church history, when men have tried to pry, dig into the mysteries of God as the triune God, to, to try to explain how God can be three in one, they have come up with heresies. Either a kind of polytheism to make God more than one God, or a kind of Unitarianism denying His plurality and making Him only one like the Muslims do. And that's a warning to us too in an educated, reformed community. While we are called to search the Scriptures, and we're supposed to use the logic of our minds which God has given us, and renew it even, to understand God more and more, and develop in our understanding of Him, beware. Remember, there are limits. Not only with regard to His being and persons, but to many other facets of God's truth. Believers don't pry into the mysteries which God hath hidden. Believers say with Psalm 131, I do not exercise myself in things too high for me. That's humility. Humility. When it comes to the doctrine of Trinity, not only but the doctrine of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, we will come to our limits. When we're talking about even the doctrines of how God works within the soul of a man, and we begin getting into repentance and faith and, and understanding the distinction and understanding how they relate to each other, be careful, beloved, how God works is mysterious and we come to our limits. We're talking about supralapsarianism and infralapsarianism. And while there is an understanding, a certain understanding, we can come to understanding the mind of God as He reveals to us. Be careful, beloved. Faith goes so far as God's Word reveals and no further. And to make your opinions and ideas of God's Word dogmatic is often, as was the case in crying into the mysteries of the Trinity, to go into heresy. Man's rationalism brings us there. Man who believes, is willing to say, I know this much because God has revealed. But there are things I don't know. Wonderfully so. Because my God, this triune God, is incomprehensible. Secondly, the doctrine of the Trinity impresses us with the truth that God is Personal, personal. Catechism says three distinct persons. Think about that word, persons, persons. And the persons are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Persons, three distinct persons. God is a tri-personal God. And those names of the persons should not only be familiar to us, but they should be family names to us, especially the name Father and Son. Father and Son are persons of a family. And those names of persons within the Godhead tells us then that God has a family kind of relationship within Himself. A personal family relationship. God the Father with God the Son. God the Son with God the Father. And then since He is also Spirit, God the Father and Son with the Holy Spirit. Persons in a personal family relationship with each other. And that too, again we have to be careful, is beyond our full comprehension. And yet, we must think upon it because He is three persons. How oh, beautiful! Not cold, but warm. Wonderful that God is three. Has been three. The Catechism says eternal, the one, only, true, and eternal God. Father says, I am, have been from eternity. Son says the same, I am, have been from eternity. And Spirit says the same, I I am and have been from eternity. And is these three persons from eternity, each has embraced the other. In true love, rejoicing in each other. Breathing words one to another. Having communion and fellowship with each other. John 1.18 puts it this way, that the Word, the second person of the Trinity, was in the bosom of the Father. In the very bosom of the Father, embraced by Him from eternity. God is the God of covenant, we say. But before He is the God of covenant with us, he has been the God of covenant within Himself, even without us. He has been His God of relationship from eternity, an eternal holy communion with Himself. Thirdly, the truth of the triune God impresses upon us not only that God is. Incomprehensible. God is personal. Finally, God is one. He's one. Think about the word Trinity. The word Tri. The prefix Tri and in Trinity means three. And then that that suffix Nity means unity or oneness. God is one. The catechism emphasizes that. He is the one, only, true and eternal God. Question 25, there's one only divine essence. That God is one means a couple of things. We've already spoken one way that God is one. As we mentioned in the introduction, it means that this God is exclusively God. There's no other God in this world. No true God. Every other God is a false God. Only the triune God is God. He's God alone. That's what oneness refers to. But now, that God is one also means this. That God is united. And the three persons are so closely joined together in living, holy fellowship and communion with one another that they're not three beings, but one being. Every other family, you look around you in the world with a father and a son, might have a father and a son who love each other. Two persons loving each other, and yet they remain two beings as much as they love each other. The closest relationship of husband and wife where husband and wife may be united in holy communion with each other. Two persons united, and yet they still remain two human beings. But God is so one, incomprehensibly so, that the three persons are one being. Marvel at that. So great, so powerful is His unity. And I do not wait until the third point to call you now. And to say to you who hear about this triune God, known to us and yet incomprehensible, personal, three persons, yet one, united in one essence, I call upon you to believe in this God and to trust in Him alone. Every other God, is a false god let your heart lean on this god to know him and have confidence in him this is life eternal jesus said that they might know thee the only true god and jesus christ whom thou hast sent he alone is revealed in the bible god's word and today the word of god comes to you as it is preached. And God speaks mysteriously, but very really. So that as you hear His Word, you not only recognize that His Word tells you who He is, but He tells you who He is. He testifies to your heart, I am Father. I am Son. I am Holy Spirit. And the real experience of the soul is that you know as a believer, you know He must be triune because He as the triune God works upon your soul and in your life. Listen to the Belgian Confession on that point. Article 9 again. All this we know as well from the testimonies of Holy Writ as from their operations, meaning from the operations of Father, Son, and Spirit. Operations means work or works. We know God is triune because He tells us in His Word, the Belgic Confession says, but also because He operates, He works in us. And chiefly by those, meaning by those operations of Father, Son, and Spirit that we feel in ourselves. We know God is triune because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have and are operating in our souls. And that brings us to the work. What is His work? The catechism tells us God the Father in our creation Second of God, the Son and our redemption, the third of God, the Holy Ghost, and our sanctification. Again, as we approach God's work, I have to say, who is sufficient for these things to define God is so impossible. And to tell you everything that he has done also is impossible, especially in one sermon. We make a beginning, and catechism tells us more of his work as it explains the Apostles' Creed in future sermons. Before we get into the specifics, now recognize about the amazing work of this triune God that He doesn't need you to work. He doesn't need you to work. There is an attribute of God that means that. that God doesn't need you. And since I've given you a few attributes today already, here's another one. It's the aseity of God. It's not as well known. The aseity of God. That means that he is independent. He is self-sufficient. He doesn't need us to work. Think of God before the creation. Mention in the Lord's day, Father in our creation. Think of God before the creation. Before the creation, He was already working. He didn't need the creation to work. In our day and age, we might say God had a life even before anything was created. He was not bored and eternity passed. He was already working. John 5:26 As the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. God has had life in himself from eternity. What exactly went on in that eternal life, of course, we don't know much about. But here is summed up what He does reveal to us that He did from eternity. He has been fellowshipping within Himself. Remember, He is a personal God. He's a God of three persons, perfectly united with each other, Talking to each other. Conversing with each other as persons in close fellowship would. Covenanting with each other. He does not need you and me to have a covenant. And to fellowship. If he had wanted to, he could have. Enjoyed that Activity of fellowshipping within himself from eternity without us. He could have. But here's the gospel in terms of the triune God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from eternity has chosen certain human beings like you and me To bring into covenant life with Him. To enjoy this communion with Him. To be members of His family. While He did not need us, He so graciously has brought us into His communion. And there are many passages I could quote to prove this. But I stick with a couple in Ephesians. Ephesians 2 verse 19 now therefore, Paul says to the church, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and, notice this, of the household of God. You're made the family of God. Ephesians 3.15 calls the elect Christ's family. Family in heaven and on earth. This is a wonderful goal of the covenant God from eternity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit must have been talking about this and planning this from eternity. That He would bring unto His family sinful people. Making them perfect within His fellowship. That He would take puny persons such as we are to have a personal relationship with His three persons. That's astounding. That he would make mere finite creatures like us who would never come to a comprehensive knowledge of him and who would often be unthankful and oblivious to it. He would still ordain that we would enjoy holy communion with him. In other words, his work was to establish a wonderful unity between Himself, as the triune God, and us, His people. So that it's not only Father who says to Son, I am yours, and Father and Son, the Spirit, I am yours, you belong to me. But it's also that Father, Son, and Spirit says to us, I am yours. And you belong to me. And that helps us understand now what the Catechism is explaining here about creation, redemption, and sanctification. Three specifics, though there's more, but three specifics about. His work, to carry out His plan of making us one in His family. First creation. Not only the Father who created, though the Father stands in the forefront. Emphasize in the creating work. The Son and Spirit join Him. The Father created us. Because for there to be fellowship, there has to be existence. We have to exist. He creates us. He creates us in His image, because only those in His image can have fellowship with Him. Those like Him. And as you know, mankind fell. Adam and Eve rejected God. They forfeited their gifts, they forfeited the image of God, they rejected and they attacked God and His covenant, man made himself enemies of God rather than friends united with God. But that wasn't apart from God's plan, thankfully. He He did not fail and come up with a plan B. But the fall was part of His counsel to save a people In the way of sin unto himself, that we might have fellowship with God even closer than Adam did in the beginning. Having created, God sent his Son to redeem his people fallen in Adam. The catechism says, the Son and our redemption. Again, the Son is not alone in this, Father and Spirit. Join Him for this redemption. But the Son is the one who does the paying legally. Doing the work to pay. That's what redemption means. To pay for our freedom from bondage to Satan. To pay for the legal rights to be made one with God to have fellowship with Him. The pay, not with silver and gold, that's not enough. Nor anything in this world is enough. But to pay with His precious blood, First 1 Peter one nineteen, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, with His perfect righteousness and His shed blood, especially on the cross, He might redeem. He might, that is, that He might pay for us and for our rights to be members of His family. And having fully paid for all the benefits of salvation. He rose and ascended and sent forth His Spirit. The Spirit and our sanctification, the Catechism says. Proceeding from the Father and sent from that crucified and risen and ascended Son. The Spirit comes to us to those whom He has chosen, to those whom He has created, to those whom the Son has purchased, to them only, the Spirit comes and joins you His people to Jesus in a real bond of faith as we considered last week. So that through that bond of faith there might flow into us all the blessings of salvation which Christ has earned, believing itself holiness, not only the principle of holiness, but also a progression in holy living. And I could go on and on about the work of sanctification, but negatively, I said earlier that every error, every false doctrine, can trace back to an error regarding the Trinity. Some would have a problem with what I just declared and described as the Spirit's work of sanctification. A real work in us to make us more holy. Some would deny that want to ignore that or accuse those who teach that of heresy. And I say, that would be a partial denial of the Trinity. God is not a duality. God is a Trinity. Which includes the Holy Spirit and His work of very real sanctification in us. You see how glorious a God we have. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who had no need of us but has worked to bring us into His fellowship creating, redeeming, and sanctifying us unto Himself. Calling is to believe, first of all. Calling is to believe in this triune God. Is to have a certain knowledge an assured confidence in this God, in this God alone. This God, Father, Son, and Spirit. This God of holy communion, which He shares with us. This God of creation, of redemption, Of real sanctification. Hold to this God. To this truth. Trust in Him. Rest in Him for every aspect of salvation. Be confident in Him. And those who reject Him. Or say, I'll take a part of Him, but not another. The same thing as rejecting Him. Show they have not salvation. Not yet. For those in covenant with Him. Those whom He has joined to Himself. Revealed Himself. And given faith. Will believe Him. To be that triune God. The second calling. Live a life. That demonstrates that you believe in this God of the Trinity. Live a life that shows that you are joined to this triune God. That's essentially the calling of Paul in Ephesians 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy. Of the vocation wherewith you are called, verse 1 says. The word vocation there refers not to an earthly vocation or occupation, but it refers to your calling. Meaning your calling unto salvation. The irresistible call of the gospel. And Paul is saying there, since you have been called out of darkness, out of bondage to Satan, and you've been called unto fellowship with God, Now live consistent with that. That's what worthy means. Live a life consistent with that calling. Live as though you have been joined to the triune God. Live as though you are united. Don't forget that word. Live as though you are united to this God of three persons, united to Himself. Be who you are. That's the point. Show yourself as joined to the God of Trinity. Beloved, all those who are joined to the three persons who are united to each other will live as persons united with each other. They will. It is inevitable that the power of unity that exists within the the Godhead will be Transmitted to you, His people. And you will live as those in fellowship with God. And you will live as those in fellowship, therefore, also with each other. If you are united to God and fathers and children, fathers and sons, you will be united to each other as a reflection of God the Father and Son, united in the Trinity. As husbands and wives, if you are united to God, then you will be a reflection of the unity that exists between Godhead and the church. Husband and the bride, the church. If we are united to God, then not only in our family relationships, but in our relationships as members of this church, of Hope PRC, there will be an endeavoring, to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace there will be a striving to reconcile with each other when there are sins once against against another there will be a forgiveness in the way of repentance for sin there will be even a desire to make that reconciliation happen as soon as possible there will be a Long suffering, a patient bearing with each other. And now in the negative, what would be the cause of fractures? What would be the cause of disunity, of schism, of divorce, of splits, of separation and grudges? And bitterness. What will be the cause of that then? Well, the implication is unbelief. Not united to the God of unity. Three in one. Not living by faith in this triune God. so I call you on the basis of scripture live more and more as those who are united to God by showing forth your unity to God with your unity one with another and that for the glory of the triune god that's the purpose isn't it Not just to prove that you are a believer, but it's for the glory of God. Isn't that your greatest desire and delight, that you would in a small way reflect this great triune God, three persons, and yet so united that He is one being. Isn't that glorious? Now, show the glory of that God with your persons united to each other as a beautiful reflection of the Trinity. Jesus says that in John 17. Close with that. The glory, He prays, so he prays for the church, the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, in unity. Why? <laughs> so that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me, for the glory of God the glory of His Gospel. May the grace, therefore, of Christ our Savior and the Father's love the Holy Spirit's favor rest upon you from above. And thus, may we abide in union with each other and the Lord and possess in sweet communion joys which earth cannot afford. Amen. Let's pray. O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with our persons, we pray to Thee, the three persons. Who are we that we may speak to Thee? Yet that is exactly the wonder of Thy saving grace that Thou has drawn us, puny and sinful as we are, drawn us to Thyself in Jesus Christ, to have and to enjoy a personal relationship with Thee, our God, and granted us access thereby to speak to Thee in prayer. With the truth of Thyself, O God, as three persons and one being, strengthen our faith, and as Thou dost give us faith, cause us to manifest Thy glory with our unity. That we might bring forth praise and honor to Thy holy name. These things we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.